Welcome to the podcast from Eden Worship Center. Because we believe that it is God's Word that does God's work in God's people, we want you to hear the gospel preached in the gathering of believers. We want you to read it for yourself and to join us as we think together and talk together about the sermon from this past week and what's going on in our world. You can join the conversation by sending in your comments and questions to EdenWC at Hotmail.com. May God cause His Word to come alive in your heart today. Welcome to the EWC Midweek Podcast. Pastor Matt here. Pastor Harold, good to be with you. Yeah, we're trying something a little bit different today. Uh, As you'll probably hear if we talk for a few minutes, my voice is completely given out on me. And so uh, trying not to contaminate poor dad with my sickness. Uh, We're going to try this digitally, see if we can't pull this off. But uh, so Danielle and I were out of town this past Sunday as the church gathered and uh, thankful for a couple of our tech guys who worked really hard behind the scenes to get everything uh, working so that we could uh, join in uh, remotely (coughs) over the live stream. Um, But I just thought it'd be good if we just, just for a few minutes here, talked about um, your book that you wrote on Philippians and what led up to that, what, what sort of, (coughs) it's going to be a lot of well, that was Go back ahead. in the last century, by the way, and you were a little boy and your brother was little. Uh, I had taught for several days down at Christian Retreat in Bradenton, Florida, for a school of ministry. And uh, the response was really, really good. So literally what I did is I initially just trans had the, uh, the recordings transcribed and we put things together that way. Because I taught this session on following in in the ways of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus, was which is what the Apostle Paul talks about in chapter two. And so that's what led up to all of this. And uh, yeah, I've been very uh, gratified. It's not been on the Amazon bestseller list, but it has reached, <laughs> and it has helped a lot of people to understand. Yeah. What did it mean for Jesus to empty himself? Because if we lose either the true divinity or the true humanity of Jesus Christ, Christianity cannot be sustained as genuine. So what did it mean for him to lay aside his uh, position with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, uh, to empty himself, to humble himself? And I talk a lot about Growing up, as I did in the particular denomination we were a part of, we talked about be humble, be humble, be humble, but nobody ever told me how. And the problem yeah. with that is that once you get humble and you know you're humble, all of a sudden you're caught up with pride over your great level of humility. So my contention <laughs> I think we call be, that false humility. Well, yes, but we practiced it well. What can I say? Yeah. I realized that, um, you know, really humility, we have wrongly defined it. It, It's better defined dependency. God takes his people into the wilderness out of Egypt where they learn to depend upon him for everything. And so we talk about that and in the book. And then we talk about the name that is given 
to Jesus, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, it also, the, the book came out in a context of where there was so much emphasis on the name of Jesus. And you pray, in the name of Jesus, yeah. it's got to be done, okay? There is authority in the name of Jesus. And talk about, since God the Father gave him his name, that means that everything God is, his etern eternal existence, all of the resources of heaven stand behind the name of Jesus. But my contention in the book is we have no right to pray in Jesus' name if his nature and character is not being perfected within us. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's his nature, his <clears throat> character perfected within us that keeps us from falling into a spiritual pride, spiritual arrogance and superiority where we just we just go a little crazy. So that was the whole <laughs> intent behind the book. Yeah. And then as it relates to the book of Philippians, one of the great joys I had probably for, oh, 10 or 15 years, uh, Janice and I would annually go to Indonesia and I would teach at a school called the School of Acts. And it was post high school students. It was a humbling experience because many of the students had sacrificed literally everything they had to come to be at this yeah. school. And I teach there for a week. Um, and so one of the things that I would do is I would teach the book of Philippians expositionally um, in five sessions. Now, that wasn't really doing it all the justice it deserved. So, But interesting was, that you did that, given the fact that that was, what, 10, 12 years before we started expositional preaching at this church? Just yes. preaching verse by verse through books of the Bible. So that mm -hmm. I, there again, I, I think it kind of laid the foundation for that. Well, and I have basically been an expositional preacher all my life anyway. So what I did, and this ties into last Sunday as well, I would actually in, in the school there in Indonesia, I would spend Monday morning I, in the first hour and a half segment I would spend the whole segment talking about the history of Philippi, the history of the Church of Philippi. There we go. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't hear you just for a second. Uh, trying to make that all okay. Work. Somebody was trying to call me. I apologize. That's what happened. <laughs> oh. Okay, so, and and by the way, if you're listening to this, we don't know what we're doing. Let's just be real upfront about that. This is absolutely a trial run just to see how it works. So we'll we'll see. Yes. So uh, it, was, it was pretty cool uh, being able to teach in that school. And it was a humbling yeah. experience. And uh, so I, I would take a semi-academic approach to looking at the book of Philippians. And the response over the years was just incredible. The students loved it because they felt like they were understanding how things fit together. One of the things right. that I said Sunday uh, that, that I believe is, is so true in this, that if you don't understand the history, then you really aren't going to understand what Paul's saying to them in chapter 3 when he says, for our citizenship is in heaven. As Americans, 
uh, we say, well, yeah, we're citizens of the United States, but that doesn't carry the same weight yeah, that it yeah. did for those first century <clears throat> Christians who were in Philippi because Philippi had become, by that time, a Roman colony. And yeah. to be a Roman colony meant if you were a miniature of Rome and you had not only the rights and privileges, but you had the responsibilities. So mm -hmm. they carried great significance as they put it in the context of being a Roman citizen and now being told, okay, you're a citizen of heaven. That yeah. was profound to them. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So, you know, there, there was a number of things in there. And we talk about the fact that in the book, sin is never mentioned. Eighteen times he talks about rejoicing. At least five or six times you find the word joy, but it, it's just a unique thing. Uh, yeah. Again, I'm fascinated by the history of the city. Uh, it, it initially was called Crenides, Little Fountains. Well, King Philip II of Macedonia uh, names it after himself, calls it Philippi, and he's actually the father of Alexander the Great. So it's interesting what happens. Well, then you fast forward, and uh, it comes under Roman rule about um, 168 B.C. By the way, I told the people we're not, we're not giving out tests or anything like this. <laughs> but but the, the context of the history here is, is amazing. <clears throat> so it comes under Roman rule. Well, you get to uh, 44 B.C., and there's two brothers-in-law, Cassius and Brutus, who assassinate Julius Caesar, on the uh, 15th of March in 44 BC in the theater of Pompeii, the Roman Senate, and uh, they take off. And for the next two years, uh, Octavian, Octavian, who is the nephew and the adopted son of Julius Caesar, chases them along with uh, Lepidus, who was Julius Caesar's top general, and uh, Mark Anthony, who of Anthony and Cleopatra fame. Well, they catch up with them at Philippi, 42 BC, you've got the Battle of Philippi. Uh, Brutus and Cassius and their forces are defeated. Brutus and Cassius commit suicide rather than being captured. How interesting that a few years later, Mark Anthony's gonna do the same thing. What becomes interesting in all of this then is Octavian becomes the first emperor of Rome and transitions Rome from a republic to an empire and the Pax Romana, but he changes his name. And we find that in Luke chapter 2, where it says that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Caesar Augustus is Octavian. So yeah. you've got all of this going on. <clears throat> uh, Philippi is made a city of refuge for the followers of Mark Anthony, who are defeated. And it's, it's just, it's fascinating. It's a center of the gold mining industry and the gold trade. So it helps us to understand why they were in a position to be able to uh, support Paul like no other church. And, it, and then you look at the composition of the church. You go back into Acts 16 and you find Paul and Silas going there and they go looking for a place of prayer. Well, that tells us there weren't 10 Jewish males in the city because that's what it took to have a synagogue because Paul's practice was always to go to the synagogue first. Well, there aren't yeah. 10 Jewish males, so they go outside of the city <clears throat> looking for a place of prayer. That's where they meet Lydia, 
seller of purple, some Thyatira. And one of the things that I tried to point out that I thought was fascinating is Paul and Silas had tried to go into that part of Asia, and all the scripture tells us is that they were fit, forbidden by the Spirit to do that. It doesn't mm -hmm. say how. But then they're going to meet up with Lydia of Thyatira in Philippi. And then there was, after she responds in faith, well, then there's the demon-possessed girl who gets set free. And Paul and Silas end up in prison as a result of that. And here again, understanding what it meant to be a Roman colony and a Roman citizen, Paul, and Paul who is a Roman citizen, is accused, he is beaten, he's thrown into prison, and there's been no trial. Roman law was, if you did that, whatever you did to a Roman citizen was going to be done to you. So, you know, when when morning comes and the city fathers find out, they want to dismiss Paul quietly. He said, no, 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 no. But that's getting more into chapter 16. Uh, through all of that, the Philippian jailer and his household come to faith. So here you have a church that is primarily made up of Gentiles. And we don't know how many Jews. Um, yeah. But it's a fascinating composition, which then, you know, leads us when we get into, the, like, the opening greeting. Paul's greeting is different as he begins in verse 1, where he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, all of his other writings, he is declaring his apostleship, but not to mm. the Philippians. So it's very unique, and 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 as we're going to go through this study in uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians over these next few weeks, it's important to remember this is the most personal letter that Paul writes. He's got a relationship yeah. with these people that was special. It was unique, like no other churches that he had founded. So it's fascinating. And then his greeting, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We read that in English and don't think anything about it. But when they read it or had it read to them, it would have meant something really profound because when he says grace to you, it's the Greek word that's used. When he says peace, it's the Hebrew word shalom. So given the composition of the church, we're only left to wonder at the genius of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to begin the greeting with the Greeks, yeah, and then include the Jews. Um, and again, we talked about the fact that this is special because it is, as some Bible scholars have said, Paul's first conquest in Europe. Yeah, Conversion of people in Philippi opens the door <clears throat> to the gospel going to Europe and obviously to us here and around the world. So anyway, I've kind of rambled on there a little bit, but... <laughs> Well, you can it's, tell uh, it's very difficult for me to talk about these things, right? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's a good introduction. Uh, I mean, not just to Sunday sermon, but to the book in general. That I mean, we're going to spend several months in, so it's. I think it's good to understand uh, the context of the people. If we're going to rightly understand the word, we have to understand both the biblical context and the historical <laughs> context. So, mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. a little bit I of agree. that uh, under our belts, I, I think it helps us. Uh, rightly see what is Paul saying to these people? What what is he attempting to do with this church? What what is he celebrating in them? What is he what is he pushing them towards? And yeah. hopefully that will just be an encouragement to us as well. Well I tried to outline five reasons why Paul uh 
was inspired to write this book. First, he wanted to reassure them. They were concerned about him. They were concerned about his welfare. There is debate over where the book was actually written. Um, I tend to um, believe that it was probably from Rome during his imprisonment, but they were concerned about him. Second, he wanted to thank them for their financial support. They'd just been uh, generous to him, they blessed him, and uh, it was good. Third thing that I saw in this was there were some minor disorders that were going on in the church. There was jealousy, there was rivalry, there was some personal ambitions, and uh, those things needed to be addressed. And one of the things you learn in leadership is while none of us like confrontation, you must deal with things sooner rather than later. And the earlier you deal with them, the better it is. So he's dealing with problems early before they become monumental. Uh, the fourth thing was they had this group called the Judaizers. And I tend to believe that when you see the abrupt change in chapter 3. He's going along very pastorally. It's almost as if he's getting ready to close the letter, and then all of a sudden it's, beware of the dogs, be, er be aware of the evildoers, yeah. be aware of the, the false circumcision. It is like, oh, so did he just suddenly get news? Um, we don't know, but there is something very, very abrupt that changes in what he's saying and doing. So he wants to confront that legalism, and the other thing is, he wants to concern, uh, reassure them about the well-being of one of their own, a man by the name of pa Epaphroditus, who presumably um, had brought gifts to him, uh, to Paul, and was serving with Paul. And we know from chapter 4 that he, he was sick to the point of death, so Paul wants to reassure them. So, you know, I, I think those are important things to keep in mind as we look at why did Paul write this letter. Yeah. And thinking about... Um historical context. It's different than our context where I mean, you and I are having this conversation over digital media. We're not, we're not in the same room. We're not in the same place, but we're mm -hmm. able to instantly communicate. Uh, instant yes. communication was something unknown in the ancient world where... Well, okay, <clears throat> perhaps... let's go back. Other, other than the telephone in the 1960s, inst instant communication was never thought of. Who would have ever imagined yeah. we would hold in our hand this little device and we would be... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, but, so think that, about... That's a point well taken there. 1800s, uh, the invention of the telegraph, where you're able to send a, a digital coded message. Mm -hmm. And they thought, man, we have just connected the world uh, Yes. Prior to that, it's writing a letter and then someone has to carry it. So, mm -hmm. I mean, we don't mm -hmm. know, did Epaphroditus carry it? Was there another letter? Um, one of the commentaries I read suggested that Paul, in leaving out his apostleship, was possibly correcting them in their letter as they had addressed it to him as Paul. And he's like, okay, I'm just, <laughs> I'm going to subtly correct you by saying, oh, yeah, this is just Paul here. But then uh, he's very pastoral. Uh, yes, but yes. also very, very fatherly towards them throughout mm -hmm, this letter in, mm -hmm. in yeah. leading and guiding there. and correcting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <coughs> yeah Anyways, we don't, we don't know, but it, the, the timeline is really stretched out. And that, I, I think that's helpful as we go through it to remember uh, this is a distant, long distance communication that's going exactly. back and forth between the two of them. Uh, exactly. And so in those things, you're not just going to, 
you're not going to ramble on about your day and just random facts. You're going to get to the heart. What's the most important thing I want these people to know? Uh, mm -hmm. Whether it is that uh, confidence, hope building in the beginning that he who began the good work is going to see it through to completion, even if it doesn't feel like it right now, God yes. will do that. Or uh, beware, you guys have now been a church long enough uh, where now subtle miscues and heresies start to come in. And mm -hmm. so you have to beware of false teachers and, and you have to judge rightly false teachers. And um, <clears throat> he, he is he is speaking to them as a father would speak to his children. And I, oh, it, it's absolutely. just a, from that perspective, it's a wonderful letter to get to eavesdrop on. I think. Well, and, and that's one of the very special features that makes this epistle very unique. The other thing, as we, we talked about earlier, is this magnificent picture he paints of Christ in chapter 2. I mean, it is, some have described it as the pinnacle of the New Testament. Um, and I, I'm not sure if Paul intended to just paint this amazing uh, Christology of who Jesus is, I think more he was trying to portray uh, and demonstrate the grace and the humility of Jesus. But what we have is this magnificent picture of God the Son and fully Son of Man. Yeah. Uh, just powerful in who he is, and, and as some scholars have called it, it's the pinnacle of the New Testament in terms of Jesus. And uh, yeah, and then the third thing yeah. that which I alluded to that makes this special is that it's uh, really Paul's first spiritual successes in what would have been the Europe of their day. Yeah. So yeah, church yeah. planning in Europe, and <clears throat> wonderful for us because we. The vast majority of us are going to come from that European lineage, and mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm, it really mm -hmm. is a branching out that the gospel is for all people. It, it's not oh, just for absolutely. the Jews. It wasn't even just for the Greeks. Uh, it, mm -hmm. it would come to us uh, even farther away, uh, but just perfectly God watching over his word to preserve it and then to form us into the image of his son. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and that may just ties in so beautifully. There, there's it's pastoral, it's it's not formal, it's filled eleven times with uh, rejoicing, five times of joy, and as it opens, here is this servant's heart, and that I think really demonstrates as he addresses it to uh, those who serve, literally in verse one. Uh, the overseers and the deacons, and the uh, the literal sense here is those that serve, which is a reminder that I tried to point out Sunday, is ministry is about serving the saints, not getting the saints to serve us. Mm -hmm. And because uh, the world looks at things and says, who's in charge? They see leadership from the top down, where Jesus demonstrates that leadership really comes from the bottom up where we, we are lifting up, we are encouraging people to be who God has created them to be and do all that he's created them to do. So, yeah, yeah it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, it's good. Well, I think my voice is going to give out on me, so maybe we'll just leave it there. And 
uh, encourage people to come back for installment number two this coming Sunday, Lord willing. Uh, <laughs> by the way, if you're out there listening to this, be praying that God gives some good weather over the next couple of days because we've got uh, Mike and Anita's fundraiser that's happening on Saturday. Uh, we want to gather with God's people on Sunday, and we've got a huge snowstorm that's forecasted. So it would be awesome if God would hold back the heavens for a little while and yeah. uh, <laughs> permit those things to happen. But uh, whatever happens, Matt, we trust ourselves into his good care. Yeah, Matt, let's just let's leave <clears throat> this also on one thing, this great keynote of Paul's confidence in, in verse 6. Um Having this confidence, I'm assured of this, that he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion with the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I tried to point out Sunday that in the context of the original text is this good work carries the sense that it, is, it has already been completed, hmm. but is now being expressed, this completed work, and lived out. And yeah. We just need to remind ourselves that what God has declared to be true about us is true, whether we feel it or not. And yeah. rather than living on our feelings, we need to start living in walking in what God has declared to be true about us, understanding that he is also changing us from glory to glory to glory to glory. So, amen. Good. Good. All right. Well, thanks for uh, going through the uh, headache of getting this all set up. I appreciate your time and doing that. And uh, hopefully we can make it work a little better in the future. Absolutely. God bless you, everybody. See you all Saturday right. at the fundraiser for uh, Mike and Anita. And then Sunday as we gather to worship and exalt the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Bless Amen. you. All right. Bye-bye.